You're listening to WRIR LP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio, and this is RVA Report, WRIR's weekly current affairs talk show where community thought and political leaders gather to weigh in on the headlines, their significance, and where they might take us tomorrow. But first, the news. For Richmond Public Media, I'm Brittany Tracy, and here's the news. This is the second episode of our November series on young adult literature in Virginia, presenting short biographies of local authors, advice from librarians, reactions from readers, and book talks on new publications. Alyssa Nader's debut novel, Escape from Eden, is a young adult thriller that earned a Kirkus-starred review, Alyssa Nader. Um, so in 2008, I left my corporate job and was like, I'm going to write for a living. No, now I'm... 2013. I'm a published YA author. Yeah, so my book is called Escape from Eden, and it is about 16-year-old Mia, who joined or was brought to a, a commune, a religious commune in the middle of the jungle by her mom at the age of 10. And then now she's 16, and she's questioning why she's there, and she tries to escape with a new boy who's brought to the commune named Gabriel, and they find out terrible secrets of the cult. Yeah, it's a book about a cult. Edenton, Nader's cult commune, was inspired by Jonestown. She was specifically interested in exploring the lives of kids trapped there. What did they think about their situation? Yeah, Jonestown was a commune in the middle of the South American jungle uh, that was started by Jim Jones, uh, where the the saying, drink the Kool-Aid, comes from. Um, 900 people committed mass suicide by drinking um, Flavor-Aid that was laced with cyanide. I really was thinking about the children in Jonestown. Did they want to be there? Did they remember their life outside? Were they born there? So I was really wanted to explore that aspect of it. Would they want to be there if they knew there was a life outside where they could have running water and hang out with their friends at McDonald's. Mia, Nader's protagonist, experiences teachable moments about the drive for independence and the limitation of unalterable circumstance that so many teenagers struggle with, albeit in an extreme setting. Yeah, she was one of the only kids in Edenton, it's called, in the commune, that remembers life before. So that's what really makes her question, question being there and why she's there and what she's missing out on. I mean, she's very active in in leaving. Um, she's very active in trying to find a way to escape. And that's what that was important to me, was to have an active protagonist that isn't just letting things happen to her. But on the other hand, things do happen to her that she has no control of. So there's this balance of what she can actually control and what she can't. And, and the important part is how she reacts to what she can't control. Trails of troubles, rows of battles, eyes of victory. The Old Boys Club has long reigned supreme in politics, be they national, state, or local. But we live in a modern age, right? When women are free of stereotypical roles and free to be what they want to be. Think again. The percentage of women office holders at all levels remains distressingly low. 
on Richmond City Council in a city that presumably follows the gender demographic norm, three of nine members are women. Moving up the food chain in the U.S. Congress, the stats are even worse. But we've come a long way, baby, especially since 2010 and especially here in Virginia, where a step back in time may well have inspired a giant step forward. Women, long complacent in politics, stepped up and stepped out to challenge a raft of legislation that commonly came to be called by opponents the war on women. But is the war over? Or were the past three years just a rallying cry? Are Virginia women ready to step up and level the political playing field? As I looked across the field, well, I saw trails of troubles, rows of battles, paths of victory. We shall walk the trail. I'm with Jen McClellan. She represents the 71st House District, uh, including parts of the city of Richmond and a little bit of Henrico County. She was elected in 2005. She was the Virginia Young Democrats president from 1994 to 97 and founded the Metro Area Young Democrats in 97, where she served as president until 2004. She's also been a delegate to every Democratic National Convention since 2000. And I'm also with Carol Wolf. She's a former member of the Richmond School Board who began her political life as a member of the Fourth Estate, like me and recently returned to that fold after leaving the board in 2008. Wolf credits her political career, three terms on the school board, to strong mentorship, specifically in the form of some very strong fellow women politicians, including Viola Baskerville, who previously served, I believe, in Jen's seat, right, right. in the House of Delegates, That's right. um, before serving in cabinet posts under Tim Kaine. Yes. And so here we are, ladies. Thank you for joining us. And also my co-host, Charlie Dirador. Hi, Chris. Is always here. <laughs> hey, Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Chris. Guys. So we're talking a little bit about women in politics and what hurdles there are and maybe what hurdles there aren't, too, um, and what structures uh, exist to. And I think the reason why I was very interested in talking about this particular topic today or this week, I guess, is with it being election week, uh, the election will be over by the time this runs, um, is there there isn't any female candidate on either of the um, top ticket stuff for the state. We have no gubernatorial, lieutenant gubernatorial, or AG women, and haven't had in a, some time, as I recall. Um, where are they? <laughs> <laughs> Jen, where are they? Well, I mean, you did see uh, some run on the Republican side this time. We've had women running on the Democratic side in the past. I think uh, this year, um, the, you know, it just nobody stepped forward to do it. I think there people. I think that'll change in four years. Are we hearing something that, that <laughs> <laughs> nobody's is declaring? Early, early, no, 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 no one is declaring. Uh, well, you know, one election at a time. But I, I think four years from now, uh, you'll see somebody running. Who do you guys? I guess either one of you can take this. Who do you guys see as as uh, sort of the field in the Richmond metro area in terms of women? Who do we need to be looking out for? Well, do you, do you mean it's to run statewide or run or just, I just guess, period? People who might be interested in give us some in, big names, Jen. Of some, uh, uh, some names <laughs> that, that's, that's that may loom big now and may <laughs> loom big in the bigger, I should say, in the future. Um, who do you guys see? I, uh, Shannon Taylor. Uh, Shannon Taylor. Same I mean, I just blurt Shannon's name out Shannon every time I can. Immediately pops out in my head. 
I thought Shannon should have run for attorney general this time. I think she should have. Mm. She would have given the ticket some Seems balance. Early, and I see Jen uh, shaking her head. So. Tell me why not make Be- the argument against. Because I think she's doing a good job as, as Commonwealth's attorney, first of all, and I think that you you need to spend a full term in the seat that you have. Um, you need to have and, staying power. Yeah, and I think um, you know it was a hard-fought seat for her to get. If she had jumped ship you know, this early in, it would have been very difficult, I think, for a Democrat to keep it. Uh, she would not have had an opportunity to really build a name for herself. And if you're going to run statewide... Um, and you're only really known in the Metro Richmond area, you're going to have a hard time, you know, that fast. She would have had to basically start running as soon as she got elected, and then she opens herself up to, well, you know, this is just a stepping stone. Her heart's not really in it. As as an office holder, I I do defer to your knowledge base. Um, But let me ask you this. Good idea. Yeah, right? (laughs) You won. Um, let, let me ask you this question. <laughs> let me ask you this, several times. Let me ask you this question. If she had run statewide, and, and again, on the premise I, I that she would have run. I don't think we need to use run. Shannon as the... Uh, well, as look, the, let, me, let me take this out. Just let me string this a little bit, okay. okay? If she had run, do you think the fact that she had won in Eric Canner's backyard, that she had won a race that no one thought she could win... Honestly, a lot of people didn't believe it up until probably two weeks out, three weeks out, four weeks out, that maybe she's got a chance. Around 8 o'clock that night. Well, yeah, that too. But do you think, <laughs> do you think right. either one of you, that simply, and this is, this, this is where I'm going to get into touchy subjects, touchy, t- touchy fields of subject here. Do you think that having a more balanced ticket would have attracted money for her? Do you think having a female on the ticket would have attracted enough financial backing for her to have mounted a credible campaign? Can I, I guess, perhaps massage this and say... Please do. (laughs) Taking Shannon's name out of it, do you think that a woman on the ticket for either party would have helped in some way? Yeah, that's a much better way of putting it. Well, I mean, of course. Um, I think, you know, having a ticket that reflects the makeup of the Commonwealth of Virginia is always the ideal. Um, And so I I think, and particularly with with everything that we've seen going on uh, since 2012 with the war against women, um, you know, with with women getting even more politically active as a result, um, I think it would have been better to have a woman on the ticket and I'm, I'm disappointed it didn't happen but um the timing wasn't right and and you know one of the things you all want to get into is is sort of making the decisions on running for office and for an individual making that decision the bottom line is the timing has to be right and if the timing is not right for you as a candidate it doesn't matter whether you're a woman a man black white whatever if the timing is not right for you, you shouldn't do it. And um, because, you know, if your gut's saying the timing's not right, you're probably not going to win. Um, but when you're running statewide, uh, you know, it's a big state. No one really pays that much attention uh, until pretty late. But you need to spend a lot of time and a lot of money getting your name out, introducing yourself to people. Um, it helps if you have a record. It helps if you already have some name ID. That's why, um, you know, I think anyone who is just gotten elected to something um, within two years 
has a, a huge hurdle to get over just getting name recognition. Um, now, to his credit, Justin Fairfax, who had never been elected to anything, mm-hmm. did pretty well in the Democratic primary. Um, but that's in the primary. And I think he would have even, I mean, he, he would have even had a very difficult time getting in late, um, introducing himself, getting his name out there, and getting people to pay attention to a down-ticket race that they don't really pay attention to anyway and say, yeah, I want to vote for this guy. In some way, that seemed more to almost that introduction that you're talking about, getting a name out there, sort of a, a fast and dirty way of doing that in a way. Uh, did he look well, like... it's expensive. Expensive. Very expensive. <laughs> it's very expensive. It's a very expensive way to do it. Just Carol, ask Mark Warner. Yeah. Uh, Carol, let me ask you something. Um, thinking about this as I've been spending my day doing research and whatnot, it came to me that women running at local levels seemingly I read a book a long long time ago I don't know if either of you have read it it's called Women Winning no it was written back in the 70s believe it or not they wrote their own books Charlie well I understand that but 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 they stand on the shoulders of those who went before them here's the question is it easier for a woman to get elected to a local office than it is for a female to get elected to a higher office. I don't know. I don't know that it's any easier being a woman trying to do that. I think I think executing your duties in a timely manner and being able to have a balancing of your family life with your political life is hard. And you have to be able to figure out how to achieve that. And that's hard. And real also, quick, you guys are both moms, right? Well, yeah, well, I wasn't uh, when I got elected. That's yeah, true. Yeah, she, she, yeah, she, Jen had a lot of time to walk the walk. I remember uh, Jen knocking on doors and Eric calling me and saying, you know, has she been to your, you know, your house? And, <laughs> you know, are you going to walk with her? And what are you going to do? And who can she walk with? It's, and, you know, and I was you know, really pushing hard for Jen as well. But and I knew that she also had, you know, as, as did I, Viola's blessing coming in. And and that's something I really do want to give some some propers to here because unlike a lot of males who who do not take the time to nurture a young a younger politician coming up the ranks because they see them as a threat, Viola always took time. She always took time. And when I first wanted to run for school, Viola was the first political person I took that to. And I knew other political people, but I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear from her as a female what it was about, you know. And she'd had a full track record as far as you know, having been on city council and then moving on up the ranks. So, you know, and Viola was, you know, she asked me, "Can your marriage take it?" That was mm-hmm. the first question, or uh, just yeah. a somewhere in there kind yeah. of question? No, it was, is can your marriage, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you're, you know, once you figure out you're smart enough, you've got the passion, now can your marriage take it? She says, because it will put a strain on your marriage. Now, how do you weigh that? Well, I, blessedly, I had Oliver Hill's encouragement to help. And when I told Tom Wolfe that uh, Mr. Hill had said I should run, Mr. Hill, you know, Tom said, well, if Mr. Hill says that you need to do something, <laughs> you best get busy. <laughs> so you, you really don't say no to a civil rights legend, I guess. No. 
Yes. And Jen, how about you, I guess, with your husband? Well, I mean, again, I, I did it backwards. So, right. you know, if you look traditionally, most women who have gotten in politics, um, they they are married, they have kids. Um, in some cases, you know, they, their kids are, are grown, it's after they're out of the house, or they get involved in politics through their kids. Um, and it is that balance that, that Carol talks about. I did it backwards. I was single. I was not dating anybody. I had been involved in politics for a very long time. I decided to run. Uh, actually, you know, got elected in 2005 and started dating in 2006. So my husband knew what he was getting into. But it's it, probably you know, still really didn't. But well, I mean, <laughs> no, he did. Kind of. No, he did. He's, <laughs> he's inside. I think we could, he knows. He, Jen's husband's. A, a, is a political guy. But combining right. two things is, I know who her husband is, but it's... it's yeah, but the, <laughs> audience, the audience so, does yeah, it. For, the, for the listeners, my, yeah. my husband is, is uh, Dave Mills. When when we met, he was a finance uh, person for Tim Kaine. He became finance director at the Democratic Party State of Virginia. Level. Eventually, he was the ED and, and now works for the DNC. So he's, you know, he's worked so on campaigns director, for way, a long for time. Yeah, and, and so he kind of did know what he was getting into. He had... Um, you know, by the time my son was born, he had worked on two gubernatorial campaigns. We had both seen firsthand the strain that it can put on your entire life, not just your marriage, but everything. And that's Thank what you I'm saying. Yeah. That. Thank no you possible, for saying that, Jen. There's no possible mm-hmm. way that anybody, I guess two people coming together, can know what their jobs are going to create. And you, the, both of you had jobs that really were vortex jobs. I mm-hmm. mean, you're in the assembly once a year for three months. You basically have to disappear into mm-hmm. yeah. well don't forget her day gig isn't exactly uh, no, you know, it's not lightweight easy thing either. <laughs> right <laughs> what do you do um what's your uh, profession i'm uh, in-house counsel with verizon mm-hmm. but um that's really easy it's stuff just, yeah, yeah. Just throw away. so it was and you know and i you know i got pregnant while i was in office so that had its own kind of challenges but it was it was i think in some ways easier for me because I was able to sort of fold my family into my career rather than fold my career into my family. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, I think for both, for, for Carol and I, and I think any man that you ask them, you know, for a lot of them, your first priority is your family. And, um, and, and you know, people just kind of understand that. But for a man in politics, there is, I mean, well, I guess a man in any job, it, it, he's not the primary caretaker at home, it seems yeah. like. And that seems very stereotypical even, to say. Even, even I, with very is, liberated... That is stereotypical to but say, because I was a primary I, And taker. I was, too. Okay. Well, I am, but too. Look, you know, I spent a lot of time with and my And that's kids. why we're co-hosts. But when they get hurt, <laughs> or when there's something going on with them at home, who do they run to? They're not still going to run to me. They run to mom always. Well, here's, I mean... Not to get too graphic, but I mean, I was nursing, so yeah, there are some things only mom can do. And you know, we had a situation where you know, if we were in the general assembly after six o'clock when daycare closed, so was Jack. And um, you know, you just you made that work. But and by the way, that's not graphic. We're breastfeeding firmly <laughs> on this show. So <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna write a book one day, like you know, about all the places where. I nurse myself. Places to nurse. <laughs> <laughs> well, you still can smoke on the house floor, right? So why not? Yeah, yeah. I didn't do it on the house floor, no. But, um, smoke but or nurse? Just kidding. Neither. <laughs> Mercy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and even now, um, so for younger women, or or I guess I'm approaching you know, middle age, I'm now 40, You then you, you start, when you when you get into the sandwich generation, 
then it's really tough because not only are you having to balance, you know, your, your political career, the, yeah. your family, you know, aging parents, you get pulled in a whole lot of different directions. Now, um, the benefit is if, you know, I think what helped me is because I got involved so early um, and people saw my work ethic early, when I needed them to cut me some slack, they understood. And, and a lot of people, whether it's in my district or my colleagues or people across the state, you know, when I said, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I can't come. Like every year I go to National Night Out, August, first week, you know, first Tuesday in August. My son was born in August. It, that year in 2010 was hotter than ever. <laughs> I was, you know, I remember that. <laughs> you know, about to give birth. And I just call. I was like, look, I cannot come this year. I'm sorry. And they were all like, you know, we understand. You're here all the time. Like, you know, go take care of yourself. <laughs> name me some. Name me some females who lean right, who are Republicans, that we should be looking at down the road uh, as possible leaders in their party, or who are leaders in their party now. And silence. <laughs> no. <laughs> um. I, no, they have no. They. I've they had do. the opportunity to meet a, 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 a female, a woman who um, sits on the Han- uh, Hanover uh, Board of Supervisors, who's very right leaning. We've had a couple of conversations, but she seems like a person that may be on the precipice. Can't think of her name right now. We have Tony That's Rattler really who's running yes. up in uh, Hanover. She's running for uh, House of Delegates uh, to replace Cox, she's a, I believe. She's Is a that Democrat, right? though. And she's a Democrat. Yeah. Um, which is unusual in Hanover, so yeah. it probably means she's more Republican-leaning. <laughs> I mean, there are some on the, you know, the reason for the pause is, you know, to be fair, I've spent a whole lot of time recently focused on the Democratic side, and um, so, I, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but, you know, Jill Holtzman-Vogel um, is, is a leader in the Senate Republican Caucus. Um, you hear her name often. Um is sort of the first one that comes to mind. Uh, Barbara Comstock mm-hmm. is is, you know, a, a national leader, a leader in the National Republican Party. She was on the stage for their uh, national convention last year. Um, and so they're, they're sort of the first two that come to mind. You know, a lot of people assumed that Terry Suit would run. Mary Suit. No, Terry, Terry Suit. 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 Rep- ah, okay. On the Republican yeah, side, yeah, yeah. you know, that she would run for something one day. Um, you know, again, you saw two women run for the nomination on the Republican side. Um, so uh, they've got them. Uh, it's just, you know, we're recording this the night before the election when I've been totally consumed by sort of the candidates now. Right. But uh, it's hard to shift. Well, and when you look at when you look when you look at 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 um, I guess county politics in our surrounding localities, and and real quick, I guess on the city we've got uh, of course we've got Ellen, um, we've got uh, Cynthia uh, Cynthia Newbill, um, we've got a couple of people on the school Reva. board, Reva Trammell, mm-hmm. um, and then on Chesterfield, I was sitting here trying to remember her name, so I looked it up. It's uh, and I'm going to mispronounce it. So Dorothy, I apologize because we talk now and then. Jo- Dorothy Jakeley is, I believe, how you pronounce well, she's it. She's chair, isn't she? I think yeah, so. She's right? yeah. chair, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course in Hanover, you've had Pat O'Bannon for mm-hmm. a very, very long time. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, and Henrico. What did I say? Hanover. Hanover. It automatically, I say Hanover. And Henrico, you have, <laughs> you have uh, Pat O'Bannon, and she's been chair, I think, 
twice now. For a while, she was sort of frozen out because she wasn't supposed to have run in the first place. Um, but you see them sort of frozen in place. Uh, Dorothy, I think, has been there for two terms, I think. And then Pat has now been there for two, three. Well, she's been there since I've been a reporter. Um, well, you know, it's <laughs> so a very long time. Talking about being frozen in place, though, I, I think that sometimes at least one, one of the things about my, my role on school board was that I did not approach it as a stepping stone. And I told people that, you know, that this was not, you know, I wanted to do one thing and I wanted to do it well. And, and I didn't want it to be, a st because I see that as a detraction from doing the work that is before the school board. And, it, you know, and if you've got further plans, it, it politicizes every fight you get into. Did you ever, Carol, did you ever think of, of stepping up or were you pretty well locked in on this is where I need to be and this that is where I That was all, the, I mean, you know, it's not that I have limited vision, but mm -hmm. I've got lots of other things I like to do in my life. I've noticed. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so it was to tackle that and to do that as, you know, to the best of my, and I'm still working on that, you know, in terms of, you know, my education blog and my other, my freelancing, it's still a passion for me. So and and also to help nurture others because one of the things I did in this last school board campaign was I helped nurture certain candidates you know and was really so happy to be able to pass on you know what Viola had given to me in terms of her insight to pass on what Claire Guthrie Gostinaga had given to me in terms of you know what you have to do to take those steps and to be able to pass that on and help you know to help Kim Gray to help Kristen Larson you know and Mamie and you know. some of those names people know uh, uh, Kim Gray and Kristen Larson of course members currently of the school board Mamie also Taylor um, right. Claire Guthrie Gostinaga though again is a, one of these names that maybe a lot of people don't know she was Mary Sue Terry on she was, she was in uh, her attorney general's yeah, office. In the yeah. attorney general's office, and now she's ACLU. Uh, yeah, and she's been a lobbyist in Equality Virginia. She's just she's been all know, over. And uh, again, another one work. of these people who is uh, uh, um, hugely involved in, and now I guess it's time to talk about on the farm team, right? Right, yeah. Can Jen, now you've benefited from them of, I guess, that, that process. Can you tell us a little bit about the farm team? Yeah, sure. So um, I uh, was not one of the founders, but there were... Um, you know, 22 women who came together one weekend at Mary Sue Terry's farm and said, you know, what can we do to help nurture uh, women Democrats running for office, get more to run and, and support them. And from that, the farm team was born. And so there was a, a perceived need yeah, oh at yeah. the time. The, I mean, the, the need has been there for a long time. It was just a matter of organizing people to, to do something. And... Um, and they founded the farm team. It's sort of a it's a statewide group that has uh, <clears throat> regional you know regional subgroups, and um, you know some regions have been a little stronger than others. But uh, the the group endorses women candidates, support them. You know, one of our biggest successes was Shannon Taylor. You know, not only mm -hmm. did we endorse her, but we did phone banks for her. We did door knocking for her. We helped her raise money. Uh, and I think you know she would credit us with with helping, um, and and now the farm team is sort of entering into a new era. It's kind of split into two groups. We, it merged with a group called Emerge, which focuses emerge. on emerge, mm -hmm. that focuses on training 
women to run and be candidates. Um, and so we have Emerge Virginia has sort of taken that mission. Um, uh, so is Emerge something that's national otherwise? It's national, uh, but we're now starting it in, in Virginia. Um, and that'll be focused on sort of training women to run for office or to work on campaigns. And then the farm team part w- will be more the um, the political, you know, the PAC, uh, you know, endorsing candidates, raising money and supporting them and, and going door to door and doing that, that traditional stuff. stuff right? Yeah. Um, because we found that it's, it's really two separate missions. Um, and it, it's hard to do both well you know, by one group. I think you need to have two sort of separate but related groups doing each. Um, Is there anything like this for Republicans? Republican well, women I don't, have I wouldn't any know. sort of a... I don't know. There is. I can't remember the name of it, but they do... Sarah they, Palin? No. <laughs> well, do. and I, you know, I've, Come on, I've heard of the, farm, the farm team <laughs> yes, is sort of a well-known sort of organization, but really I don't know of anything that has a similar um, profile, I suppose, on the Republican side statewide. Yeah, I've heard of it. I just, you know. It's not your thing. You're not, not a member? They're not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you have on, on, on the farm team. I, uh, oh, gosh, it's killing me now. I can't think of her name. And she's such a leader. In women's rights, um, and you've spoken with her before. She used to be a Republican. Um, she was an independent. She ran against Minoli. Catherine um, Waddell. Oh, Waddell. Right. She's yes. not. No, she's not farm team. So there's another oh, group. She's, not farm she's team. the women's strike force. There you go. Okay. So there's another. That's group. a cool name, by the way. That's yes. Awesome. Strike force. <laughs> uh, that's, that's 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 yeah that's. Yeah, that's great. So. I mean, they're they're different. Again, the farm team Super is cool. focused on on you know Democratic women and helping them run for office. The strike force grew out of the 2012 session and all of these sort of anti-choice uh, bills that you saw. And you know, Catherine and and a, a group of women said we are going to take out anybody that voted for this nonsense. And so they are a pure issue-oriented. Um, PAC who endorsed candidates and helped them raise money to run against people who voted for the personhood, personhood, oh. transvaginal ultrasound, you know, all of that stuff. So that's their focus. And I th- and I think that there are when you were talking earlier about who's on the bench, who's mm-hmm. on the bench. I think that from that group effort, that as you know, people are getting their legs underneath them and understanding that you can actually step up and stand down and stare down, you know, a state trooper who's in front of you in full riot gear that, that you maybe you can deal with Makes you know, knocking on doors to get too. votes. So (laughs) (laughs) was that a game changer? Do do either of you think? And please, either one of you, that 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 moment, I guess, in in our state's history with with personhood and and just, I guess, war. Tom Tom and I traveled during that time. He had some business trips and we were out in Colorado. uh, and And I'll never forget in Aspen and having women come up to me and say, you're from Virginia. What about those women in Virginia? Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, even, even, before, even before the protests, but I think what we saw was a lot of women in Virginia who took their rights for granted, who took certain things for granted and thought, we fought these fights and we don't need to worry about them anymore. And then they saw, no, there's a group of people that want to take us back. And people who never paid attention to the General Assembly before all of a sudden started paying attention. And, I, and for me, the barometer was my next door neighbor. 
She knows I'm... The neighbor always makes a good barometer. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, they know I'm in politics, you know, they... we, But we never talk about it other than she'll say, you know, They've seen you in tomorrow. your slippers right. going to get the paper. Right. So, but she, um, you know, she and I were out walking the dog or something, and she just said, what are they doing down there? And thank you for what you're doing. And, and... You know, I came at it from a different perspective because I spoke from from more the perspective of look at what these bills are doing to women who want to have children. I mean, which was another. This was part of the conversation that that otherwise has been lost. Exactly, exactly. And and I can't tell you, women stopped me in the grocery store, lobbyists in the halls, and said. That happened to me. You know, I stood up on the house floor and I told the story of, of one of my friends who lost uh, lost a baby in the seventh month of pregnancy and had to go and have a DNC, which is legally an abortion. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, you mean to tell me now you're going to make her get an ultrasound and force the doctor to ask her if she wants to see it and listen to a heartbeat that's not there? I stood up on the house floor and I said that. And Which, by the way, if anybody remembers it, that was an incredibly powerful moment. Thank you. But... So many women I have never met before came up to me and said, that happened to me. Thank mm-hmm. you for what you said. Um, even even conservative women, you know, I had, or in one case, you know, there's a conservative, I mean, clearly Republican who lives in my district, but he came up to me and he said, that happened to us. Thank you for sharing that. Because they recognize if we leave this issue just to the politicians in Richmond and we don't have a voice, we're not going to like what we see. And I think you saw that in the 2000, 2012 election. Women came out of the woodwork. That is why you know, Terry McAuliffe has a, has a, has a um, Absolutely. You know, 20-point lead among women in Virginia. is because they woke up and said, we cannot take for granted that our rights will be protected. We need to protect them ourselves. And yet, and I don't mean to—I don't mean to be too partisan here because it's not my role to be very partisan here. And yet, everybody it, it, knows oh, I'm being partisan. Child. Really? <laughs> well, I try. I try to. I mean, I'm the one who asked about the Republican women. Um, and yet, and yet, do you think now I'm seeing in social media? Oh, Ken Kuch from Republican Friends. Ken Cuccinelli is not going to be that bad. This is all a bunch of made-up hoo-ha by the Democrats. It's not made up. Mm-mm. It's not made up, but how do you... <laughs> I mean, look, we're, it's the night before an election. So right. for the listeners, please We're recording on Monday night. Right, we're recording on Monday night. How do, how do you fight that? Not fight that, but how do you answer that charge that we're all a bunch of overly sensitive... If, uh, whiny babies. If you do not learn from your past, yeah, you, you are go. doomed to repeat it. Thank and you. in right. 2009, we said, okay, our candidate for governor wrote a thesis about how his religious views shaped how he would govern. And he said, oh, I was a student. I'm that not going to govern then. on those issues. I'm going to focus on jobs. And I think Bob McDonald meant it at the time. But when his party got control of everything, and he said, he even told them, don't overreach. They overreached. And when those bills got to his desk, he signed them. Now, you have Ken Cuccinelli, who has a record even more strident than Bob McDonald's ever was, who never hid from it. And he's proud of it. And right? is proud yeah, of yeah. it. And you expect him to get in the governor's mansion and not continue what has been his lifelong crusade? 
that's ridiculous, right? Okay. And luckily, we're past the election, so that's not. True. <laughs> now that's analysis. Right. So, <laughs> so, 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 so I met Barbara Mikulski at a DNC meeting years and years ago. Who is Barbara Mikulski? For the from listener. Alaska. Jen, for right. the listener. <laughs> she is a United States senator from Maryland. Maryland. Yes. Uh, who's the one from Alaska? And we're not talking. Well, Alaska is far away. So, is that a state? <laughs> Yes. And I had, I had a moment, and, and you know, she's a, she was a historical figure, and my eyes were just wide as they could be, young kid in politics. And I asked, how did you win? You and know she what said? the answer was? Because being a woman doesn't matter. Does being mm. a woman matter when you run? See, I was born and raised in, now, co- in Colorado. We, we Wait a minute. About making the decision. Hold run, on, let her. When you run, <laughs> she's about to tell matter. you. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, and 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 I remember coming, growing, growing up, and and dem- out in Colorado, Democrats are really Democrats. Okay, Pat Schroeder. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, I, 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 and Pat Schroeder was was on the on, on the, the floor, and she at one point made this statement that this bill would have passed had she not had a vagina, and some male colleagues shot back that if she had used it maybe it would have passed wow and so we what have not come that far what, what year, year was, was that I, was, I would my, I already had a baby you know had already had Kelly so had to be somewhere 780 76 80 wow in the way back when when Still y'all were 80? just babies, it seems like <laughs> it's, 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 but Patrick, I mean, Patrick Roder was a, was was serious, but mm-hmm. she, you know, she ran because they first wanted her husband to run, and he didn't have time, and so she ran, and she did a great job. But she really encountered that that kind of sexism that's just latent. Is it more difficult to get things done as a woman? Are you taken more or you less know, seriously on certain no, topics? No, I, I don't. I don't. I think it's harder to be pushy, though. I don't. Find because that. if you're if you <laughs> if if you're too aggressive, which if you were a guy it would just be you're being too pushy. You know, damn. But a, a woman, you know, you get a lot of negative feedback if you're too aggressive. Well. I- so here's my experience in the, in the general assembly you know it's all about people and i like to i like to tell i like to say that the general assembly is the closest thing to middle school since you got out of middle school <laughs> and people oh, make decisions based on on your personality but i think that's true whether you're a man or a woman you know i have seen men have their bills killed because people don't like them because they get on the floor and they're pushy and they're you know class a jerks um i've seen it for men i've seen it for women so i you know my experience has been um part of it is my personality um which i don't think is because i'm a woman because my sister is the opposite from me but (laughs) i learned as as the youngest of three daughters I learned that if you, you know, if if you stayed out late and you come in the house and your dad yells at you and you yell back, you're grounded. If you want something and dad doesn't want to get, or mom, they don't want to give it to you, you listen to what they have to say, you plead your case, you might get it. Um, but if you if they say no and you yell, 
you and won't scream get it. about how stupid they are, you won't get it. So right. that has shaped how I approach the general so, so assembly. So you watched your predecessors in office when you were a kid. <laughs> right. And have right. shaped your, your right. assembly. And so I understand, experience. you know, again, if I walk in the General Assembly as one of 32 Democrats and say, oh, you all are so stupid if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm not going to get anything done. That has nothing to do with being a woman. Our, our next panel, by the way, is going to be youngest children in politics. <laughs> youngest children. <laughs> right. Now, I have seen, and again, I don't face any of the open hostility that some of my predecessors in the General Assembly have faced. Um, I've had awkward moments where if I wanted to be offended, I could have been. Um, and I won't Is tell it you. <clears throat> difficult not to, I mean, to take that bait or? No, I mean, so I had, you know. I like your middle school analogy. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. That's politics. So I, I had one yeah. one member who, you know, I was going, you know, we have these budget amendments and you always try to get co-sponsors and the more co-sponsors you can get, particularly over the other party, the more likely you are to Better get Better things are looking. Yeah. So, you know, I was going around getting co-sponsors, and, and one older um, man who I asked to co-sponsor, he kind of paused and he said, you know, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but you are a very lovely woman. Oh. And I said, thank <laughs> you. Will you co-sign my bill? He said, okay, sure. I could have been offended at that, but, I mean, if he wants to tell me I'm pretty fine, I, you know, good. Um, I had another time where I got in. Sorry. <laughs> you know? That's one of the saddest stories I've ever heard in my life. Right. That that still goes on in the General Assembly. Oh, they get better. Oh, they get better. Oh, well, they then, get better. Please give me more. On oh, give me more. Please give me more. I got more. a better one. So I got in the elevator with another man who was from, he had, there was a woman Commonwealth attorney, uh, a male delegate, me and a friend of mine. And I get in, and he says, the delegate says, oh, I was just talking about you earlier today. I'm like, good or bad? He's like, it was good. I'm like, okay. I was saying how you're like the Barbie of the House of Delegates. Oh, my. And my friend immediately (laughs) said, well, not the kind where you pull the string and she says math is hard. He's like, no, 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 no. I mean, you know, you're always so put together. Your jewelry always matches your clothes. Your hair is always perfect. You accessorize well. And I thought, okay, in his very awkward idiotic way he's trying to pay me a compliment so I said thank you you are the third child <laughs> yeah you but, are the third child well, well, but that was a compliment that was in his own it way it was a compliment it was a compliment now <laughs> the I again, out of the house yeah I, like I mean it. again you can get offended and say you know and embarrass him but what's that gonna accomplish is it harder to do... Listeners, we're talking to a very skilled politician this <laughs> afternoon. Well, there are times in politics, though, where you need to just Cicero would have fight it you. out, right? I mean, they're... they're yeah. They're, I've as, heard as you give a fire and brimstone speech, delegate, uh, regarding women's issues at the Women's Strike Force rally uh, twice now. And uh, that just does not match up with the story I just heard. But it, it does tell <laughs> us a lot about, about, it's about what manners. It takes, well, it, t- it tells us a lot about what it takes to get along in, in, a, in an elevator in the General Assembly. Well, you pick your battles. And, you know, you can either spend, you can either choose the battle that will benefit everybody, or you can choose the battle that might make you feel better in that elevator 
and embarrass someone, but destroy a relationship that you might need one day to make things better for everybody else. Carol? Excellent point. You served with a lot of dudes. Yeah, I was getting ready to say I wasn't going to say it that way. But tell us, you know, I mean, tell the listeners, tell us. I have a funny story. That's what I want to hear. There you go. I like I like it when it starts. I have a funny story. Yes. Um, no names are necessary, but it's I guess it's a smaller pool. Oh no, it'd make great radio if you did. <laughs> the names. Uh, I I got on. Uh, there was Doug Wilder and I did not always get along. What? Uh, a lot yes. of stories have started this way. <laughs> okay. And, it's and the it's so, many books. it so happened that on this particular day, Michael Paul Williams had had a column all about how Carol Wolf and Doug Wilder were not getting along. And to the point that my son read it out loud and said, Mom, I didn't know you and Doug Wilder didn't get along. And I said, don't believe everything you read in the paper, baby. It's okay. Don't worry. It's fine. And so there we are in the basement at City Hall, and there is a young lady in the elevator who is at least nine and a half months gone. And I get on the elevator, and then a couple seconds after that, Doug Wilder gets on the elevator, and I could see this poor child looking at both of us. Oh, and said, oh, no. <laughs> I, said, oh. I thought, oh, you know, her water is going to break here <laughs> any minute now. But when we got up to the second floor, I told, you know, I said, you know, Governor, I said, my son was telling me this morning, and he read that article, and I told him, I said, baby, don't believe everything you read in the paper. And people who, you know, and Doug just sort of stood there and looked at me, and he said, right. And he shook my hand. And when I told other people about this, they said, well, you outdugged Doug. <laughs> because you were so nice to him, he didn't know what to do back. And I said, well, I was just, I was really worried about that pregnant lady. I, say, I didn't want to do anything <laughs> to upset her. But, but more, I mean, and, and, you know, and even with Wilder and even at our worst of times with each other, we always managed to be polite. And, and by the way, it should be noted that from a position on school board, um, you were taking on the mayor, the former governor, and were making headlines. Michael Paul Williams was writing about you, oh. not about the rest of the school board not getting along with Doug. There are things that can be done from these positions that we think of as, well, Mark Twain said nice things about school board once upon a time. Right, right. right. <laughs> yes, he sure did. And as we talked, he was that was back when school boards were all male. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, anyway. but, um, but but with with Wilder, you know, the the that you know I had people calling me telling me that I needed you know that Doug had given them a message I needed to back away from the ADA stuff or he was going to make Americans sure Americans with Disabilities Act mm-hmm. or he was going to make sure that I didn't get reelected and I sent the message back very clear that said if I were to back away I wouldn't deserve to be reelected mm-hmm. and and I think that it, was there a message back there was a, the message back was that we, you know, he squared off. He was very, he's always been very nice the to me ever back since. was the moving trucks. Well, no, but he's always <laughs> been very, you know, he's, he, you know, Eunice said, 
you're the only one up there that he's going to have any respect for. And I said, I'm not really worried about whether he's going to respect me. I just need to get some things done. You, Eunice Wilder. Going back right. to I just need to get – and it's like Jen was saying. You know, I, I don't need to perpetuate a fight. I mean, you know, and Wilder was in the business long enough to know that you can disagree today. But that doesn't mean you have to disagree tomorrow. You know, Chris, this brings to mind something. And, and, and being a student of politics, therefore you are a student of humanity – uh, there have been some studies recently that said that, that men have a fight-or-flight reflex where women have a fend-and-defend reflex. Um, and, and what I'm hearing here is actually that fend-and-defend reflex from both of you all, the elevator story where someone... Well, my soul. elevator story. Lots of things happen. We have to find music for this, for the opening. It has to do with an yeah, elevator. We'll see what um, we can do. But... The idea that successful politicians, male or female, are able to put the nasty comment that was misplaced or the well-intentioned comment that came off as nasty and place it where it should be placed and then go on and say, you know, if you like my hair and my nails and the way I put my makeup on, so be it. Here, sign this. Just give me all the money I need for ADA. And you you got it. And I got it too. That's right. And did you get your patrons? I did. That that in the end is not only the mark of a successful politician, it's 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 the mark of a successful human being, and or not only a successful, let's start over. That's not only the mark of a successful politician. Not only is it the mark of a successful woman, it is the mark of a successful human being. So that was well put. With mm-hmm. that, Chris, do you have any wrap-up I questions? do, I guess. I have okay. just the first one, I guess, is uh, really looking at Virginia. Again, going back to um, the war on women, as it's been now called so often in the press, we are, you've said, going to be seeing more in terms of, of women in politics. When do we get to see our first woman president? Mm-hmm. Predictions? 2016, probably. You're going to see it? He could. Carol, is she going to run? Is she no, gonna... I'd like to ask, I'd like to <coughs> specifically, if, if I've got somebody who's got a seat on the DNC, I need to ask this question. I need odds. Odds? That would, that's really, <laughs> I, I need odds. Does she or doesn't she? What's the odds that... Hillary Clinton runs for president. So I am it not a gambler. It has to do with health. And, and asking not so much the gambling question, no, but I'm I guess. No, I think, you know, I think she's going to do it. I hope she does it. Um, and really the question is how difficult of a time is she going to have doing it? No, Depends no, on who she's running against. I, want, I really <laughs> want to drill down on this because it's something that's been Uh-oh. asked in the national media over and over it is their favorite topic in the morning it is their favorite topic in the afternoon and it's their most favorite topic at night will she run who knows i don't know i don't know only only she and her husband know i i will i will say one nice thing about women in politics is that you don't you know i mean women have so much to do you don't see them taking pictures and putting them on the internet <laughs> and getting involved with interns in their office and such. And bringing and, it back around, though, what sort yeah. of, I guess, if she does run, how difficult, what challenges does she face? Is the, is the world ready? Is America ready? 
for a woman to run and to win, not to run, to win. I think so. Um, I think we're readier than we've ever been. Yeah, and I think she's already had everything that could possibly be thrown at her, thrown at her. There's nothing left. So um, Kitchen sink. <laughs> uh, you know, she can weather that. Um, Bill? They've, they've thrown that out. He's, he's like the most popular politician ever, or, you know, or at least living. Um, and I think... I think that she'd be fine. And in Virginia, we're going to see more. Yeah, I think so. Much, much more. <laughs> I mean, what? I, th- I think. I think. I'd. I'd. I'd like to ask the final question. Go if for it's it, possible. Charlie. Hmm. What are women who hold office or held office who are statesmen, states people? doing to recruit more women to run for lower positions to create a bench in Virginia now? I already did it. I mean, I, I mean, last elect school board election, I was in the trenches. Wipe the hands off, done. Done, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's, in, it's, it's ongoing. I supported I mean, five. Jen, are you yeah. doing? Are yeah, you I mean, I'm, I'm a member of the board of the farm team. I mean, I do it in a number of ways, you know, through the Sorensen Institute and, and encouraging women to, to apply for that. Um, and, and when we recruit for the House Caucus, you know, we're out talking to women and we're looking at who's out there in these, in these uh, local offices and encouraging more to run. And one of my interns, you know, I had an intern, Jasmine Gore, Virginia Union mm-hmm. student, who is now the vice mayor of Hopewell, because she came in my office and she saw, I can do this. And very, I encouraged very nice her to do it. Too. Very nice yeah. person. And I could not be more proud of her. Um, mm-hmm. and, and part of what I do, you know, is it's as simple as getting people in the door, whether as interns or volunteers, to say, you can do this. And I've been with Jen McClellan representing the 71st House District in the General Assembly, um, and I've also been with Carol Wolf. She's a former member of the Richmond School Board who began her political life uh, as a journalist like myself, Mm -hmm. eventually ran for school board, and uh, was mentored there by Viola Baskerville, who again uh, was And Claire Guthrie-Gossignaga. And Claire, but of course (laughs) Viola was the, the prior in the seat that Jen held. So thank you, ladies, for being with me. That's RVA Report for Thursday, November 7th, 2013. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Dovey. RVA Report is co-produced by myself, Charlie Deridore, and Brittany Tracy. The Richmond Public Media News Team is Brittany Tracy, Cameron Vigliano, and Anafrio Castilla. News keeps happening, which means there'll be plenty more to talk about next week right here on RVA Report. Join us. Yeah,